Georgia's DBHDD is warning all Georgians that half of all opioid deaths happen at home when people take an oxy or a perk with a glass of alcohol for stress or to sleep. Learn more about protecting families from opioid overdoses at opioidresponse.info. The legislature looks to virtually outlaw abortion in Georgia. It's just one of the controversial measures that survived crossover day and will now surely trigger one of the fiercest battles ever seen under the Gold Dome. And City of Atlanta officials are girding for war as lawmakers advance a bill to seize control of Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. We'll talk about next steps for those bills and more. Political Rewind starts now. Hi, I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks so much for being uh, with us for Political Rewind uh, today. I think a lot of us uh, in this studio, and I think probably many of you who are real political junkies out there, uh, came away from crossover day yesterday and last night startled by some of the developments we saw unfold at the state capitol. We're going to get right to talking about them, starting with our uh, regular Monday and Friday uh, uh, AJC friend Jim Galloway, the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and the overseer of the uh, Political Insider blog at AJC.com. A little bleary, but I'm here. Crazy. I, I don't think it was an exaggeration. I, I said at the very top of the radio uh, headlines, uh, I thought in many ways a historic night at the Capitol in terms of the bills. I, I had I had many a person tell me that that we might be looking back at last night as kind of the next shift, the the first big shift in in Georgia politics since uh, 2002. Okay, well we're going to talk about it in a minute. Eric Tannenblatt is here, longtime Republican insider. Eric, you have worked with Republican uh, candidates and uh, Republican office holders, starting with the president uh, George H. W. George W. Bush. You worked very hard for Mitt Romney's election uh, to the White House uh, and his bid for. Senate, and you've worked with a lot of Republicans right here in Georgia. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You were also, I, I always want to remember, you were the chief of staff for Governor Sonny Perdue during his first term. That's right. And you so moved on, right? I was there for his first crossover day as governor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Karen Owen uh, is back with us again. Karen is a professor of political science at West Georgia University. Hi, Karen. Glad to have you here as well. Thank you very much for having me back. Did you get to watch much of this last night, or did you just decide to take put your kids to bed and go to sleep? I actually <laughs> did put my kids to sleep, <laughs> and then I went right behind them. Okay, so, great. Yes. But I know you're up to speed on what happened last night. And Michael Owens is here for the first time. We say the former chairman of the Cobb <laughs> County Democratic Party. We announced on the show that you had decided to step down from that role uh, a couple of weeks back now. It's, uh, it was a week ago today, actually. Oh. So I, I am technically still the chair. I've got a couple of more days left as we work through the transition, but uh, I did tender my uh, my resignation, yes. They're going to miss you up there, huh? Oh, I'm still going to be around. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I got uh, re-elected to the state committee, so I'll still be a state committee member with the Democratic Party of Georgia, and uh, I'm not going anywhere else to be around. Okay, good. <laughs> Jim Galloway, let's start with the uh, abortion uh, bill. Uh, HB 481, for people who are keeping track of uh, bills by their number, uh, sponsored by Republican Ed uh, Setzler. Of, of Ackworth, yes. Of mm -hmm. Ackworth. And this is a bill which they've 
called the fetal heartbeat bill because it essentially says that once a doctor detects a heartbeat in a fetus, abortion becomes illegal. And that tends to be around six weeks in. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's and, 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 and uh, we will let other people tell you, uh, kind of ascertain that, but that's supposedly long before many women know that they're pregnant. The other aspect of, of this is that uh, it, it incorporated many, uh, many facets of what's called the personhood movement by 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 giving giving uh, uh, this this six week old fetus uh, uh, human legal status, uh, it, can, it can be counted as uh, as a sense in 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 state senses, if not in U.S. senses. Uh, uh, it also gives state law enforcement officers access to records of doctors and hospitals. Uh, in, 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 who are investigating violations of, uh, of, of this abortion law. Just to frame this, uh, Karen, currently abortion is illegal in Georgia after 20 weeks. Uh, uh, th this obviously really goes a very long way in changing that. And uh, it, it, for, because many women don't even know they're pregnant by the sixth week, uh, many people are suggesting this essentially, for all practical purposes, outlaws abortion in Georgia. I think it is very restrictive, and the governor did run on, you know, trying to sign a law that would be very tough, but you're correct in the fact that some women don't know by six weeks they're expecting. Some women can't get a doctor's appointment by six weeks to even have some of the testing to confirm whether they are or not pregnant. Um, I think it also raises questions, though, too, about if we're going to have this in play, how much the state's going to have to uh, work to be able to uphold if it becomes law, because there will excuse me, there will be a lot of legal challenges, I think, coming towards this because of the precedent that's in the United States for the abortion to be legal. And then the states can restrict, like Georgia has at the 20-week mark. So, Eric and Michael, I, th there are many people who are stunned that uh, it, it's not surprising that a, a bill like this would be introduced, I, I don't think, because we know there are some very powerful uh, anti-abortion forces down at the Capitol. But I think there were a lot of people, Eric, who were stunned that the House voted this out and sent it over to the Senate because although restrictions on abortion have become increasingly uh, popular among particularly Republicans here, this one is really Governor Kemp said in his campaign, I'm going to pass the toughest uh, abortion law in the country. This certainly puts us right up there. Well, like you said, the governor said that we were going to pass a tough abortion law. It's the first session of his governorship. Uh, it was a it was a close vote. It wasn't a, as though it was a overwhelming vote. There were a number of legislators that didn't vote. Yeah. And then there were some really emotional uh, speeches on both sides of the aisle. I think one in particular that stood out to me was Deborah Silcox, who ended up voting against it, who represents the Buckhead Sandy Springs area. A, a Republican who Republican. voted again, who went against the leadership on this bill uh, right. to vote against Which it. was a tough, tough move to make. But as we saw in the last election, Republicans lost a lot of legislators, a lot of female legislators in Atlanta and the suburbs. So, you know, I, I applaud Deborah for, you know, the courage to step out and do that. And let's, let's remember that also that, that, that Governor Brian Kemp backed down on his legislation on his right. and swapped uh, and switched over. Yeah. Can I put that on hold sure. just long enough? And then I want to get you in, Michael. But, but because you brought up Deborah Silcox, um, I think 
as, a, as an indication for people who didn't watch the debate on GPB uh, last night of just how emotional um, this whole debate became throughout the evening, let's look at just a little of Deborah Silcox as she took the well to express her own feelings about this measure. I come to y'all tonight, first of all, as a Christian. Jesus saved me from cancer when I was 16 years old, and I was given a 20% chance of surviving. And by the grace of God, I was able to have two children. And I value those children so much, and I value life so much. My parents were told that I would never have those children because of all the chemo and radiation that I had. But I have heard from thousands of people in this state and in my district, thousands of women. And I have heard from obstetricians who practice in this state and genuinely do not want to be criminalized for caring for women in our state for what they do. And so I rise to vote against this bill, and I rise for my constituents and for those people because I was sent here by them to vote for them. Deborah Silcox um, on the floor, in the well, talking about the abortion bill last night. And, and, and Michael, in a minute, Jim Galloway made a point that we'll get to in a second here. We didn't know that this was where Governor Kemp was going to head with this abortion legislation. But it, 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 and partly we think it may be that the governor recognizes um, the political side of this. And Eric referred to it in talking about Deborah Silcox. Um, abortion is a terribly emotional issue. It's an issue that has real meaning in terms of people's values, their ethics. Uh, there is still a, a political component, and Republicans may have put themselves in, in a, more jeopardy with suburban women as a result of that. There's, there's no doubt there's a political component to it. Um, I think, as Eric mentioned, the vote was relatively close. I think it was 93 to 73. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so it's incredibly close vote. Um, notable people who did not vote or were excused from the vote, um, I think, directly plays into the politics of, you know, d between the Democrat-Republican shift that we're seeing. And at the end of the day, they got to go back to, to their constituents uh, with this on, on record, right? Back to a lot of people who this is not popular with at all. So um, I think the politics were definitely at play, but at the end of the day, it was, it's, it's about a woman's right to have control of her reproductive health and her health in general. And that is what I saw. I was there last night. And to see the energy, um, yes, a lot of emotion, um, but just the, the intense aspect of it. I mean, you could hear a pin drop, you know, once those votes started coming in. And it was, I mean, everyone was so intent on, on what was happening. So, and I do believe just the motion and feel that was going on. I've been, you know, I've been to quite a few crossovers and this one, to, to Jim's point, felt different. There, so, it's, it's just to, to, to build on, on, on your, uh, your observation there, Michael, uh, you had uh, 11 House members uh, either uh, seek excuse, uh, uh, sought a, an, an excuse to not to vote or simply skip, didn't vote. Uh, 11 uh, skipped, eight were Republican. Yeah. 
Um, all right, Jim. So let's go to what you started to make a point about. Uh, last week, Governor Kemp introduced legislation, which would it was a trigger uh, bill, essentially. And what his legislation said, and we talked about it on the show uh, this past week, was that uh, if the Supreme Court of the United States overturns Roe, Georgia will move immediately to outlaw abortion in the state. And we all thought, well, this is a great way for the governor to sort of uh, to to respond to the people who wanted him to outlaw abortion, but not having to be proactive, allowing the Supreme Court to move forward. And that suddenly disappeared. Right, right. It was he was trying to thread the needle between the needs of of of, of suburban uh, suburban legislative Republicans and and his old his own allegiance to the base here. And the problem here is that is that he'll, his bill didn't didn't affect the status quo at all. Uh, it was intended that way. Nor did it give anti-abortion uh, 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 activists a vehicle, a legal vehicle, uh, by which they could try to try to try to bring their case before the Supreme Court. Um, all right. By the way, uh, let me say, and I want to uh, uh, open this back up to everybody again. Uh, Donna Lowry, the lawmaker's uh, reporter down at the Capitol, just sent us. Uh, uh, word, she tweeted out word that there is a protest going on at the Capitol on the front steps right now. There are a number of women dressed in those red uh, uh, um, capes from the Handmaiden's Tale with the white hoods, and they're holding hangers uh, on, upon which is, are inscribed the words, not a medical uh, device. Mm -hmm. this, Karen, there could not be a more contentious, more emotional issue that cuts to the soul of so many people out there. Yes, this. and it, it divides not along you know party lines, it divides along your religious lines, it divides along your ideology. So it's very you know combative and divisive amongst us. And if you look back to polling that was done during the gubernatorial campaign here in Georgia in July of 2018, uh, there was a question posed to 650 Georgia voters, do you support or oppose a ban on the ability to obtain an abortion in Georgia, and 51% oppose that. So that's a you know very small majority opposing a type of ban. But then you look at how much, there's almost 40% of people who are uncertain about this idea of abortion and whether you should restrict it at some point. And many of those people who are undecided can't because of the emotional attachment yeah. and the personal stories. They don't know how to respond or feel about it. Um, and we have to think about, will they turn out to vote? Is this an issue that will then, you know, encourage more people to vote because of this one single thing that is attaching them personally? Or will they look at other issues all around for the entire session? Well, one thing I thought that was interesting about last night is that, uh, is that uh, you had uh, uh, House Democrats, male House Democrats, pretty much seed the well. To, mm -hmm. to to all of their all all of their female members. It, it's simple because we understand that this is directly invasive to women and their rights to 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 determine what happens with their bodies. So I mean, something like this it it inherently sets us back as a as a state. Um, and you know the the whole thing about the trigger, you know, it, it was it was quite absurd to me. I mean, and uh, you know, the first thing that kind of came in my head, I'm thinking, what if what if at the, the federal level we, we overturn a 13th Amendment, right? Does that mean Georgia automatically institutes slavery? 
mean, we, we, th these types of things, you know, we have to ensure that we are doing what's right and people are fighting for the right reasons. That, that's, I'm happy to see that was taken out and that, that ultimately that wasn't, wasn't part of it. But still, again, going back to, to what was happening at the Capitol, um, it, was, it was a sign. I think, I think it was a shift. And I think we see that with the votes that, that were excused. And um, from a, not only from a political aspect, though, we, right, we have to go back to what you were saying around, you know, how this cuts along so many lines. And, and ultimately with, with Representative Silcox giving so, that speech. Eric, what do you imagine happened to Governor Kemp, who we believe, he hasn't said this in so many words, but many observers believe he was trying to, as Jim said, thread the needle, uh, take a stand, but make that stand uh, contingent upon an action by the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, do you imagine he was overwhelmed by members of his own party, by conservative activists coming to him saying, you're not going far enough, Governor, you better get on board. This train is moving. Well, I think that the train was moving and there were activists in the House that were moving forward with this legislation and he had to take a stand. And that was consistent with, you know, his pronouncement during the campaign that we were going to have a tough uh, abortion law. Now, we still have to get this. This still has to pass through the Senate. Yeah, but just going to ask you that. What do you imagine the chances are? Well, this in I, the Senate? I, I think what you what Donna Lowry reported, I think we're probably going to be in for a lot of that until the Senate votes. And, and Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the lieutenant governor already uh, stated his support. Uh, for uh, what the house. That's news. That's news to me. But it oh, maybe, surprise maybe me. I may be mistaken. Me. But I, I know he did assign the bill to uh, to the the science, science. and technology mm -hmm. committee. Okay. Renee Chair, Unterman. Renee Unterman, one of only two uh, two uh, female uh, members of the House Republic uh, Senate Republicans. So caucus. you know, this reminds me. I mean, in in the in the sense that this is one of the most controversial measures you could ever ask to come before the legislature. There, there's a way in which it reminds me a little bit of the Roy Barnes flag controversy in that once it got through one body, uh, the others, you know, if I were in the Senate, am I the lieutenant governor I, and I'm supporting this measure, I want to get this on the floor as fast as I can because of just what you said, Eric, we're going to have more handmaidens uh, out there in front of the Capitol. And the longer this lingers, the more pressure they're all going to be. Well, and, and then the national spotlight. And this is the these are the kinds of issues that, you know, the business community, the economic developers, they, they, they don't they don't like when a spotlight is put on the state that is controversial. So, I, I, excuse me, in a way I'm kind of puzzled by this. Uh, Jim, we go back a long, well, everybody at this table does, except you're too young, Karen, but we remember how many times even conservative Democrats really resisted wanting to advance abortion bills that were uh, uh, beyond the pale in terms of restrictiveness. And so, in a strange way, things have changed in two directions at once downtown. On one hand, I think you make the point that we suddenly have Republicans, and we'll talk about this in terms of other things that happened last night, Republicans who are not sticking with their leadership because they're worried about uh, the Republican brand, particularly in the suburbs. But on the other hand, the most conservative uh, members of the legislature have taken hold too, and they are they are they are they are they are they are they're tightening what grip they have left yeah. on on the uh, on the kind of the, the reins of state government. Uh, to, to Eric's point, uh, and you were asking why why Kemp did this. Yeah. One reason uh, this happened maybe 48 hours 
before uh, in the Senate, Marty Harbin uh, out, of, out of Tyrone pulled the religious liberty bill. So you had the prospect of, of uh, religious conservatives who make, the base, uh, make up the base of, of the, the Georgia GOP coming away with nothing after crossover day. That's really important. These are voters who sided with Kemp because they liked the conservative agenda that he put forward. And uh, they've got to the governor's got to give them something. Abortion's a big thing to give them, but he's got to find some way to appease his base. I mean, it is a way if you're not going to be able to provide them the, co the coverage with religious liberty that you do have a bill now that you can take to them and talk to them about this. And it is a very important issue for evangelicals. Yeah. There's one that, that really cuts to them. They think a lot about it. They push their pro-life discussions. And so I think along with that, though, you could say that this bill goes a lot with some of the human dignity ideas already at the Capitol when we're talking about in a few minutes about the hate crimes. Mm. I mean, the governor could actually potentially talk a lot about human dignity and working towards these issues to his base. This is definitely going up in the, this is a bill, if the Senate passes it, uh, this immediately is, and as Jim kind of pointed out, this starts moving up through the courts. There have been other states that have tried to pass restrictions as, uh, 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 as, as important as this, or as strict as this one is the word I'm looking for, and they haven't gotten very far in the courts, Eric. Yeah, and, and not to take away from this particular bill, but what compounds all this is right uh, before that, the legislature passed the hate crimes bill. And, you know, and there for the first time uh, ever, ever, sexual orientation yeah. would be added to state code. Yeah. And, and so th that adds to how crazy last night was. All right. Go ahead, Michael. I, I just want to make a note to, to clear up something I wasn't sure about. Duncan did absolutely yeah, say Brenda he Lopez. He it, okay. right? uh, it was our friend, decision for him, actually. Our friend Brenda Lopez posted on Facebook Live a note saying that uh, he said, Duncan, that it was an easy decision for uh, him on HB 481. All right, let's do this. You talk hate crimes. We're going to talk about them, but let's do this. Let's get a break in, and when we come back, we will talk about another kind of historic moment at the Georgia Capitol, the first time a body in the legislature has, in fact, put into practice a code that protects gays, lesbians, and uh, others uh, who have uh, uh, different approaches to their sexuality. We'll do that when we get back. I, I got I got. Are you thinking of getting rid of your old car, truck, or RV? GPB's Vehicle Donation Program is here to help. Donating has never been easier. We'll take care of everything, including free pickup of your vehicle. Just go to gpb.org cars or call 877-GPB-1-CAR. That's 877-472-1227. And thanks so much. My name is Chuck Reese. I'm the editor of an online magazine called The Bitter Southerner. I've seen decades of misconceptions about the South from the Beverly Hillbillies on down. But in my new podcast with GPB, we're going to challenge those stereotypes and paint a very different picture of the American South. Join me for The Bitter Southerner podcast. Details are at bittersouthener.com.
Welcome back to uh, Political Rewind. Before we continue with our conversation, I just want to point out uh, some procedural matters that uh, come into play. Yes, crossover day is behind us, and we do know which bills have survived and which ones didn't make it out of one chamber. Uh, but uh, before we talk about other bills, it's important to point out that there really are still a few ways that lawmakers can try to give their proposals a second chance. First, we're in year one of a two-year session, a biennial session, which means that a bill can be held until next year and still be alive uh, so that legislators can drum up support and try to get their bills passed in the 2020 session. Second way to move a measure forward is to attach the bill to a somewhat related bill that did survive crossover day. Now, to do this, the original author of the bill they want to have attached has to approve it. And then the uh, Speaker of the House in the uh, House and the Lieutenant Governor in the Senate have to rule that an amendment that they're trying to put on is germane. So it's got to be approved before it can go forward. I, so there, there are a lot of other things we can talk about here. But, Jim, the point is a bill's never dead until it's uh, until day 40 is yeah, over. Yeah, the best you can say <laughs> is something is mostly dead. <laughs> and also, I think it's important to point out that bills that did pass the House or pass the Senate, when they go over to the other chamber, they can be amended, yeah. and then yeah. you get into right. you know, right. a back and forth in a conference. Right, which is why we all love going down to the Capitol and watching this unfold every year. Yeah. Uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, hate crimes, we mentioned it briefly. Uh, Jim, just to give a very quick history, the legislature back in, I think, 2000 right. approved a hate crimes measure. Now, it's important to point out that hate crimes bills, at least the way they've been uh, put together in this state, are in penalty enhancements. People who say, well, you can't penalize free speech, they're, they're missing the point. The underlying, uh, underlying, there has to be an underlying conviction. Yeah, An right. underlying crime. Right. So they passed it back then, but the state Supreme Court ruled it unconstitutional because it was vaguely written. It didn't refer to specific groups and categories and of it people. And was, it was vaguely written because of objections uh, among religious conservatives in 2000. They were on the, kind of on the, on the rise in the state capitol. Uh, they did not want any protections for 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 the LGBT community. And for years since then, um, there have been efforts to pass hate crime legislation in this state, and legislators have rejected it largely for the same reasons. There's been an unwillingness to codify, to put in law, recognition of the rights of uh, gays and lesbians. Um, and now it's Chuck Efstration introduces the bill. It includes gays and lesbians, it includes religious discrimination, it includes many categories, and it's already passed its first test. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was a close vote, 90, uh, 96 yay votes. Uh, uh, Chuck Efstration is a former Gwinnett prosecutor, a Republican from Dekula, again, in that northern metro, metro arc area. Uh, he got a little bit of uh, 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 moral support from Dan Ponder, He's a former House member who, in that 2000 fight for, over the hate crimes bill, uh, just gave a wrenching speech on on uh, on on race and uh, uh, race in his family's life, and uh, and uh, it it he, it's credited with passing the bill. So he was up there in the gallery. He uh, Ponder won the John F. Kennedy 
a memorial, a freedom uh, award. Profiles and Courage. Profiles and Courage Award because of that speech, Eric. Right, right. And I think we should also note, too, that Chuck is a younger legislator. And I think you're starting to see the generational change, too, as it relates to issues with the LGBT community. Right. But again, you you had a lot of House Republicans walking. You had 17 skip that vote. 13 of them were Republicans. Uh, and a lot of them were, again, were in that northern arc. A lot of them skipped two votes last yes. night. I think it's a, not a sure thing that this bill is going to uh, get, find its way to the governor's desk. There are still obstacles here. There is still resistance to uh, codifying and protecting the rights of gays and lesbians, for instance, Michael. There's no doubt there's, I mean, it's not an easy path, right? I mean, there's still gonna be resistance. It still has to go to the Senate and be heard. But I think um, Jim brought up another point, right? About there there are Republicans that decided to skip out on this bill and with, with, you know, a good reason to do so. I mean, the the mood and tone's changing. So um, I, I do think it's good, but as we start to have a lot more constituents and, and kind of come into the Capitol and voice their opinion, it makes it a lot more tougher for them to just ram these votes through. But I, I do I do think that, you know, even if it does not make it to the governor's desk, the fact that the House of Representatives passed the bill last night, I think is very, is remarkable. Well, you know, in a way, Karen, this does tie back to the religious liberty fight that Jim was talking about a little while ago, um, except it in the, in the opposite way. It is true. And I was just thinking, though, as Michael was speaking, though, you do see that leadership let this come off the calendar into the floor. I mean, leadership had to allow it. They had to know the votes were there. And then they also had to know that it was okay to let 13 GOP walk out and that they would still pass and probably perceptively seeing that there is a generational change. And if you're going to continue the Republican brand here, you're going to have to stop relying just on older white men, you're going to have to start thinking about some other individuals. And Chuck, you know, Representative Stration probably has a good point he can make there. You know, Eric made the point, Jim, that we're getting a mixed message out of last night. You know, on one hand, you have Republicans sending the message that, yes, we support the most restrictive laws in the country on abortion, which puts them at odds with a lot of the voting uh, uh, block in the met- northern metro suburbs, especially. Uh, and on the other hand, uh, a much more progressive idea of a hate crimes bill, which has never come out of the legislature but, since but, 2000. But, it, but it, <coughs> truly, this makes perfect sense because you've got you've got one group, Democrats, surging in 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 political terms in Georgia. They have all this enthusiasm. They're going to get a win. On the other hand, you've got you 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 do have a when you have a a a, a group in power that sees power slipping away, that group it, it doesn't fade away quietly. It gets more intense, and 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 it sees it's when it sees its end in sight, then then it goes for for the for the objects that it says it must have before before time runs out yeah yeah this is a, this is an offense defense type thing i i think we're seeing right you're, you're playing the republicans are playing heavy offense with with the abortion bill to to ensure they keep their base um and then they're they're playing a bit of defense with the hate crime bill right to say okay we're gonna we're gonna give a little here so we can we can try to hold on to these areas but it's not just uh, within these northern suburbs, suburbs. I mean, I've I've had the f- great fortune of traveling all around the state, and, and um, I have had just today alone. I have had, and I can I could actually read one, but I had uh, a Republican to reach out to me and said, "I have been a lifelong Republican." Um, Peach County, 
guys familiar with that is? And he said, I've been a lifelong Republican, but after what happened last night, I am no more. On which bill? It was on 41. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. It's going to be interesting to watch how it moves forward. Eric. And, and look, I think we, we can't also lose sight of the broader national dialogue that's going yeah. on. And if, if you look at what's happening in Washington, I mean, we are just living in a very polarized time. And I think we're seeing that here yeah. uh, in the state as well. All right. Well, we're going to watch uh, where hate crimes uh, goes, but but a, a frontier has uh, really been opened up on that measure uh, for the first time uh, in Georgia history. Uh, Jim, here's another bill that we've watched for decades never gain any momentum. Well, it gained some momentum, but never enough to get anywhere. Uh, there have been legislators, especially Republicans, going back to Earl Earhart right. up in Cobb County. And I before, think Bob Irvin even. Bob yeah. Irvin, uh, before that. Uh, they want the state to take over Hartsfield-Jackson Airport. Before we talk about it, I want to make sure. Is your column up on it's web up yet? On, it's up on, online right now. We're going to get into it. I urge all of you out there, go to AJC.com and find Galloway's column on uh, the airport and uh, what he watched uh, unfold last night. It's a terrific column. But anyhow, it's, they've moved forward. Right, this, yeah. This is Senate Bill 131, uh, authored by Burt Jones of Jackson. Up, up 85. Uh, he put together a study committee over the last, say, 18 months to two years. Uh, it was a study committee without a single Atlanta legislator, uh, <laughs> and they have drafted they 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 have drafted legislation that would uh, that would take over uh, uh, the Atlanta airport and put it under a kind of authority like the, that which operates the Georgia World Congress Center or Ports the port, port, yeah. uh, the port, port of Savannah. Uh, there's a little there there's a small kind of. Uh, a nudge to, to Atlanta to, to come to the table. It says if you if, if, if a deal can be reached, I think by June of 2020, that uh, that uh, that uh, 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 that deal can go into effect. But it's uh, this is a this is a this is a hard push for uh, for uh, from the state for toward Atlanta asking for a piece of the action. Yeah, it didn't help the opponents of this measure that the day before the vote. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, we saw another federal indictment in the city of Atlanta's uh, probe of uh, bribery. Uh, Jafari, Jeff, uh, Jafari, Jeff Jafari uh, was indicted for bribes, and he had a piece of airport business contra contracting work down there. But what is this? Why does the state, why do legislators want to get into this? It's really not clear, I don't think. Is it, Eric? Well, I think that the the, uh, the corruption that we have been hearing about and seeing it play out at the, at the airport for years has gotten uh, under legislators' skin. I think there are people that felt like they were closed out from opportunities uh, at the airport. And I think this latest uh, indictment just played right into it. I, I think um, it, was, it was curious to me to see the indictment come out right before the election, I mean, right before the, the vote, but... Yeah, B.J. Pack, the federal prosecutor in this, says he didn't know... He, he is a former state legislator. He's a he's former a Republican state, state yes, legislator, right? but he insists he didn't realize that they were... And I take him for his word. He's I do, too. I, I do, too. And I don't believe in coincidences, so... Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but the aspect of it is at Atlanta, uh, the, the Hartsville-Jackson Airport, under the leadership of, of the city of Atlanta, 
has continued to grow, and now it's the world's busiest airport, and has, I mean, I, I talk to people all over, and there's no doubt that it runs efficiently. It's a well-run airport, um, so it's hard to kind of make the claim that, that there's problems with the airport and, it, and its maintenance and how it functions, and it's continued to thrive. So this kind of takeover has, has merits that's not tied to the actual airport itself and how it functions. I think if you dig a little bit into the, into the finances and look how the federal funding works um, that goes directly to the city of Atlanta that's exclusively can be used by the city of Atlanta for the airport, you may find out there's a little more there than what meets the eye. Karen, just before I, I got, a, I've, I got a, a Twitter message from Tim Eccles, okay, yes. who tells me that 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 uh, Bert, Bert Jones is actually from Jackson, Georgia, Jackson, the city, Georgia, not Jackson, the, the county. Oh, okay. Karen, I still am baffled by this. I mean, I understand that at a certain point in uh, a legislative uh, session, somebody might want to bring this up to do a little political grand standing on it. But the fact that it's moved now out of one house and going to the other, I still don't get it. Well, I think, too, if we look at it, the state Republican Party, this has been in the works. They've been talking about this for a while. They're looking at a shrinking base in some ways. And it reminds people of Georgia how important the airport is. It is the economic engine driving a lot of the state. And when you hear the corruption, not really sure what all is happening, I think it's a way to kind of say, maybe we need to have some more oversight, look at what's going on at the airport and provide it out of the hands. I would say this though, that during the deal administration, he had a really good relationship with Kasim Reed. And I'm afraid here right now we don't have a governor who has a strong relationship with Mayor Bottoms. And I think that is something that needs to be discussed. They need to have a conversation outside of the political fray, but really talk about what's going on inside City Hall to ensure that other politicians feel comfortable that there is oversight and transparency going on with the city's contracts. Yeah, that's a great point. It doesn't, and, and the mayor, Mayor Bottoms has said, we're at war now. Well, well, well no, what she said was that, that this bill was a unilateral declaration of war on the state's Oh, bill. okay. Thank you but, for correcting but, but, that. But, uh, but one thing that, that truly bothers me about this is that this is, uh, as, as you pointed out, this is the, this is the, uh, the, the economic engine of much of the Southeast, never mind Georgia. And it's, 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 a, it's a shift that's being undertaken without any kind of look as, as far as what the economic impact yeah. of, 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 of this move is. There, are, there, are, there, was, only, there was only passing reference in, in Thursday's debate to, to, uh, to, to those implications. Nobody had drawn up any stats, nobody had drawn up any, 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 any findings of, of, of fact that, that a state-run operation would be better because of this, 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 and it would improve this well. Yeah. Uh, it, it is. It is really. Uh, it, this is. This is something that's operating on. On, on suspicion and resentment. And keep in mind, this study committee, which is where this legislation came from, was started, was appointed by Casey Cagle when he was lieutenant governor. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I will say that I have seen a relationship start between uh, Mayor Bottoms and Governor Kemp. I mean, it started during the transition. He went over to City Hall. Mm. I saw them up in New York when they were down up at the New York Stock Exchange ringing the bell for the Super Bowl. There have been a number of economic development announcements where you've had both the mayor and the governor together. So I think that you know, following uh, what Governor Deal successfully did with, with Mayor Reed, I think you're seeing the same thing. 
This, unfortunately, is a little bit of a setback, but I think it's more with the legislature. Governor Kemp's been quiet. Yeah, he's, he's yes. been he's been yes. far too quiet on this. And 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 one thing that was was uh, notable yesterday uh, during the Senate debate was that one of his floor leaders, Blake Tillery, out of Idalia, was uh, was uh, was pretty much leading the GOP opposition to Democratic efforts to sink the bill. You know, Mayor Bottoms ran her part of, partly her campaign on eradicating corruption throughout the city and everywhere. And um, and I think that's something that at this point in time, you know, it's fair to say she's still working on. Um, so, I, you know, but as you guys said before, is this 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 effort to take over the Hartsville Jackson Airport didn't just start. But Governor Deal was in opposition of it, in clear opposition. Yeah, of he it. stopped it dead yeah, in its exactly. tracks. So so the fact that Governor Kemp has not came out in that same type of opposition is exactly what I think has opened the door and kind of allowed this to move forward. All right. There are so many complications to this that we're going to have to watch unfold. Here's another uh, area where, Karen, if they move forward with this, if it gets signed into law, and that's certainly not a given at all, once again, uh, the, the state is going to be in court defending this thing because the FAA has already made it clear that it does not believe in hostile takeovers of government-run airports. Right. So, yes, the state will be, again, defending something, an action that it makes. With the, and, and the FAA, FAA is involved in this. And I think we don't, as the citizens of Georgia, we do not want to end up in a situation like Charlotte, and we don't need a negative perception on this as a hostile takeover. I mean, this is an extremely important economic yeah. piece of the state, and we cannot have really negative you know, perceptions being brought in because we have a lot of hope, you know, in driving economic uh, other developments. All right. I got to get to a break in a second. I do want to say I thought one of my favorite moments from last night of all the debates was uh, when a supporter, I don't remember if it was Burt Jones himself or not, saying, gee, you know, we couldn't even get the city of Atlanta to the table to negotiate this. And Emmanuel Jones, the Democrat from DeKalb County, uh, said, uh, you don't have to come to the table when you own the table. <laughs> All right, look, um, we're going to have a lightning round coming up in a minute because we're going to talk about what happened to gambling? What happened to Jen Jordan's gun bill? What about school vouchers? Um, all of that is still ahead. But before we take a break, we should spend just a minute pointing out um, that the country lost a great icon and civil rights leader this past week. Lonnie King Jr. was one of the founding leaders of the Atlanta student movement to protest segregated lunch counters. He died on Tuesday at the site of the Yates and Milton drugstore where they first sat in as a marker recognizing the day that three students from Morehouse College, Lonnie King, Joseph Pierce, and Julian Bond began to rally students from Atlanta's six historically black institutions and launched the Atlanta student movement. It was a huge movement that helped in the effort to destroy uh, Jim Crow in the Southeast. So we just want to remember Lonnie King today. He was, again, one of those leaders who staged sit-ins at 11 facilities in downtown Atlanta in the 60s, and they shut down the downtown businesses at Christmas time, and they be made a difference. Lonnie King was 82 years old when he died. We'll be right back. I'm Ira Plato. This week on Science Friday, a second patient is in long-term remission from HIV, a decade after the first such case. Can their stories point to a cure for everyone else? Plus, did you know that dinosaurs got arthritis? What bones from the past tell us about your own skeleton? 
It's all on Science Friday from WNYC Studios. Today at 3 on GPB and online at gpbnews.org. Every day, NPR's All Things Considered includes news that keeps you ahead of the curve. We have to recognize that the threat has shifted and evolved from the one that came to our shores on 9-11. Plus, the unexpected. Lots of food, lots of women, lots of gambling. All Things Considered from NPR News. Listen later today for the news and a few surprises. It's 4 till 7 this afternoon here on GPB. Jim Galloway, I thought this was the session in which we were going to finally, they'd finally come up with an answer to how to get gambling moving forward in the state of Georgia. They're going to turn it, nothing specific about casinos, where the casinos would be, just do the people of Georgia approve gambling in Georgia? And it went, it died. It, it took a dive. It, uh, it, uh, let's say it was lost in the turbulence of the hate crime bill and the abortion bill. Uh, the, the, the casino bill, it, it was going to begin in the House, and it required a two-thirds vote. Yeah, because it's a that, and, and, and what Speaker David Ralston said afterwards was that was just too much of a list. Yeah. lift. Now, the, the, the thing to remember is this is an effort to get it on the 2020 ballot. It's, we are only in 2019. We still have one more session. Yeah, that was the point I was going to make. They have plenty of time to develop momentum to pass this measure, Karen, in the second year of this biennial. And I think, too, the legislators are going to have to start listening to their constituents to see if uh, they need to be supporting it in some ways, because if the leadership's got to have that two-thirds, you need to make sure you have your votes counted before next session starts. Plus, there, you know, for years, we, we had... Uh, Governor Deal and Governor Purdue before that that were opposed to the casino gambling. Both Governor Kemp and the Lieutenant Governor agreed to let the legislature vote on it and not stand in the way. And so that all just happened within the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So. so here's pure speculation, Michael. But um, the casino interests, all the Yum GM Grand and all the other, they descended on the Capitol the last couple of sessions to push hard for casinos. They've stayed away this session. The question is, what are they going to do in, tw- in the 2020 session with gambling back on the table? It strikes me that if they're smart, they will continue to stay away because they don't really help if what you're trying to do is pass a constitutional amendment that just says yes to gambling. We'll figure out what that means in the next session. Yeah, I, I think when you know, MGM and Caesar and all, all came to town and, you know, with their billions of dollars and talked about how they're going to redevelop everything. You heard a lot of talk about how this was going to affect families and how this was improportionately discriminatory towards uh, uh, people of color and people of lower socioeconomic status. And so with them not kind of descending on Atlanta, I think, um, you know, it, it helps to kind of talk through some of the issues more. But at the same time, I don't think Governor Kemp is really clear on where the constituencies are going to be. I think a lot of uh, state reps and senators aren't sure where their constituents are right now. So I think the safe bet for them to do is just kind of hold this off. And I I do agree with Jim where, you know, this is not dead, right? They can obviously come back. Um, But I think it gives them a little time to figure out where they are with this. And I think, you know, Ralston's point about, um, you know, I think he said that there was appetite for a vote. But it was just too much. After you know, going through the hate crimes bill and abortion bill, I think it was just too much to ask and not knowing exactly where that was going to turn out. Yeah, I think after the legislative session is over, you're going to see a lot of activity uh, on this front. 
testing the waters, yeah. legislators yeah. testing constituents, and then we'll know as we go into the 2020 session, prior to the session, whether this thing has legs or not. Um, the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, obviously a Republican-controlled body, Jim, passed out Jen Jordan's relatively, many people would say, mild gun restriction bill unanimously. And there was a lot of feeling that, my goodness, the state legislature may be on the verge of passing the first gun restriction since, like, the Stone Age. Right. Uh, this was a, a simple bill to to uh, ban uh, possession of firearms by people who had been convicted of family violence. Yeah. And you would think that that would be fairly simple. And uh, uh, the, 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 the primary witness, the most effective witness, was a woman named Janet Paulson yeah. uh, of Ackworth. Uh, divorcing her husband, who had, uh, who was a gun enthusiast, had 74 guns. Uh, the court let him keep one. He used it to shoot her six times. Yeah. Uh, and so you had a committee that, again, we're seeing the impact of women mm -hmm. uh, in, in the legislature this year, didn't want to, to, to vote down that bill. They passed the bill out. It didn't make it to the floor on Thursday, so it's officially dead without any fingerprints on it whatsoever. So, Karen, here we go with this back and forth again about the politics of this, the electoral politics of this sort of thing, uh, this isn't gonna resonate well, again, with those suburban women that Republicans are suddenly worried about up there in Gwinnett and Cobb and Roswell, all those areas up there. Right, so I would imagine that these suburban women are very supportive of these legislative women who are pushing for you know, specific ideas behind gun legislation. Yeah. We're not talking about a complete you know, overhaul of laws for our, you know, carrying guns or, or whatever, but I do believe that leadership again was at play here knowing what votes they had or did not have when it went to the floor. And then also thinking going ahead with what's going on with the rural Georgia voters and what are they thinking? I mean, we're seeing more of that division, some, play, some it's playing out in the politics that we have. Plus such a, such a high profile controversial issue Jen Jordan's a Democratic senator. Right. Chuck Estration, as we were talking about, the hate crimes bills, a Republican legislator. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think that that was probably a calculated decision not to move it out. But as you said at the start of the show, it's it can come out the beginning 2020. of 2020. Right. Do, do, do you think a, a, a similar bill uh, that was uh, that was uh, chief, chiefly authored by a Republican might have better luck? I don't know. I think it, for this this particular session, um, but it wasn't sponsored by a Republican. You know, Michael, I think we got to point out here, Jen Jordan, this session is really coming into her own as a Democratic leader. She, uh, she suddenly is a big player, whether she got her bill passed or not. Uh, she's suddenly getting a lot more attention than she's ever gotten in the past. Yeah, Jen Jordan, I'm proud to say, is a... Is a um is a, rep, represents part of Cobb County. Um, but what she's done is when she came in, she came in on a special election. Right. We have to remember that, right? Mm -hmm. And this is now the first term where she's actually been elected uh, in, a, in a regular general election. And uh, I think she's, she's just finding a way to come into her own. So I'm happy to see this, this go through and come out. But as far as I'm concerned, really, it's, uh, it, it was a show, right? It was a, because I tie this back to thinking about Congresswoman Lucy McBath. Right. Who won in a district who, you know, is, is kind of some people say a swing district, but she won because she was a known 
a gun rights advocate, gun, gun sense advocate. And a lot of folks said she can't win. She can't win on that. But she did. Well, but she won as much on health care and Obamacare as she did on guns, right? She did. But there was a prevailing thought that right there was no one who was this okay. strong as a gun advocate could win. And now it brings into question, right, where a voter is truly going to be on a, on a bill type like this, which made it very dangerous to bring it to the floor. Karen, let me so, give you a quick. Well, I was just uh, going to say one thing we know from academic literature is that women are more likely to compromise and work on legislation together across the aisle. And so, you know, here you have a Democratic female. But I think moving forward in 2020, if this has legs to go, it may need her working with some Republican women and, and moving that in a, in, a, in a way to see if you can build some compromise to get some Republican leadership behind it. All right, we're fast running out of time, but real quick, you mentioned Lucy McBath, uh, Michael. We learned uh, the other day that the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, has decided they're gonna put big resources into trying to hold her seat in the sixth and to elect a Democrat to Rob Woodall's seat in the seventh. They're sending staffing down here. Yes. Uh, they're gonna put a lot of money in it. Suddenly, they really do see Georgia being in play. I mean, this, the sixth district um, came through strong for the Democrats and the seventh district, um, which some have said is even, you know, a stronger play for Dems than the six was. And the fact that we were able to get the six becomes just now the matter of defending it and making a strong run towards the seventh, where it now it is an open seat. Yes, but of course, the RNCC, the Republican equivalent, will certainly counter Eric. <laughs> Absolutely. But there's no doubt that both of these districts are going to be very tight races. Yeah. And I think both parties, national parties, are going to be dumping the resources. Let me, let me, let me ask you, Eric, just, are, you, are you picking up any, any sense of we've got in the sixth district race, uh, we've got Brandon Beach already a, a, an announced candidate uh, uh, against Lucy McBath. Is Karen Handel still, uh, still talking about a, a comeback? Uh, you know, that's what the rumor is, that she's talking about running. But I've heard of two or three others that yeah, are they're, also looking right, at the race, male right. and female. Exactly. We're going to see probably a pretty significant Republican field in there uh, right. moving forward, just as we're going to see a big Democratic and Republican field potentially in the, in the seventh. All right. Just I was going to say yeah. quickly, though, that yesterday um, I received a note from a group that's organized out of the, the Democratic National Committee, and they're trying to hire uh, juniors at the college campuses for an eight-week summer training session to get them ready to be involved in all of the 2020 campaign. Don't you state. love that we're going to have so much to talk about on yes. political Georgia. rewind? for the next year and a half plus. I love that. By the way, uh, we now know that the House Oversight Committee, we it, the news broke while we were on the air on Wednesday. They've issued subpoenas to the Secretary of State of Georgia, Raffensperger, to the governor, asking for uh, all the records they have in, as they investigate uh, voter suppression in Georgia. We already have heard from Raffensperger that they are going to comply with the subpoena. I assume the governor is going to do the same uh, yeah, thing. The, 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 the asks were identical. The two letters were identical. Right. Uh, the the two, two big two big elements were were number one. They were looking at they're, they're going to look at that undervote count in the LG's race, the lieutenant governor's right. race, right. which is so glaring. And uh, Brian Kemp's weekend announcement of investigation. All right. I got to cut okay. you short uh, because. I want to point out, you know, last year we took Political Rewind on the road any number of times, um, hosting our audience, our program in front of live audiences in Savannah, Macon, Columbus, and we did a show here in Atlanta. You gave us such a great response that we're putting our road trips together for this year again. We're really pleased to be able to tell you that our first stop this year uh, will be Athens, Georgia. <laughs> we've got, and we've got a Herschel Walker jersey here that we're not giving away 
to the, as somebody who's a lucky winner in the audience. We're going to do it on Monday, April 8th at 7 p.m. in the Instructional Plaza Auditorium on the UGA campus. There's no charge you attend, but we want you to register ahead because seating is limited. So go to politicalrewind.org, scroll down until you see the line that uh, tells you to click on Political Rewind in Athens and get yourself registered. Hope to see you there and hope to see you back here again on Monday at 2 for another Political Rewind. Thanks to the panel for a great show. See you on Monday at 2.